You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so happy you're here. Happiness Solved is dedicated to giving you content that is empowering, motivational, inspirational, and of course, a dose of happiness. It is my way to give back to the world and share other people's stories and wisdom. This thing called life can be challenging, and the stories that are shared demonstrate that no matter what you have gone through, you can choose happiness. Since in the United States, Mother's Day is in May, I want to dedicate this episode to all of the amazing moms out there. I recently wrote an article sharing my three steps to alleviate mom guilt for a local magazine, and I thought I would share some of it with you. So mom guilt is a common theme that all mothers share. It doesn't matter what choices we make regarding our children, we still get that pesky feeling that we could be doing more for our kids. I read an article from Psychology Today that said, mom guilt can be a good thing if it serves as a gentle reminder that our actions toward our children matter. But if guilt is your primary emotion, it can negatively impact your parenting. It is also important to remember that kids will test their their mom and it's normal and to recognize that all children will have challenges no matter what kind of mom they have. So here are my three steps that I use whenever I start to feel this mom guilt, which, by the way, I didn't even realize it was a thing until I started researching this article. But I also use these steps to help me anytime a negative emotion surfaces because we're human and they're going to keep coming up. So first is feel the feelings. What you are feeling is real. And it's absolutely normal. As humans, it is in our DNA to protect ourselves. It's the fight or flight response that we are all wired with. So give yourself a break and feel the emotion. It's okay to feel this way, and you are perfectly human to be experiencing this. Second, ask yourself, is this true? Am I a bad mother? So unless you're you know, leaving your small children unattended at 10 p.m. to go bar hopping, you're not, a, you're not a bad mom, okay? All you're doing is making up a story that is not true. When I say making up a story, what I'm referring to is that voice in your head that wants to shame you, make you wrong, make you feel guilty, and so on. Third, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for the guilt that you are feeling or any other negative emotion that may be surfacing. I recently 
was reintroduced to an ancient Hawaiian healing practice, and I found it to be such a very powerful way to forgive yourself. So to forgive yourself, say to yourself, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. So if you would like to learn more about this topic and how to work with me personally, please visit sandyscarlotta.com to schedule a free call and also to get access to a free digital copy of my book, Happiness Solved. I also invite you to join my growing community by texting me at area code 703-420-3472 to receive daily inspirational messages. Again, that number is 703-420-3472. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you enjoy it. Today's guest is Trisha Roos. Trisha is a Dallas wife and mother who built a winning career in sports and high school admissions, but found her greatest victory in loss. She is the author of When Wishes Change, and her story is both inspiring, tragic, and just the most amazing story of resilience that I have heard in a very, very long time. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Hi, Trisha. How's it going today? I'm so happy to, to have you on. Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited for this conversation because the bio you sent me is very compelling and want to hear about your story. But first, let's talk about, I love this. So you are you just a volleyball coach or do you coach other athletics as well? Oh, gosh. So I do a lot of things. <laughs> I have um, a couple different jobs. So I wrote a book and I'm doing a lot of public speaking. And so that's kind of one thing. And then I am the director of coaching at a volleyball club. And so I get to work with athletes and plan curriculum for volleyball. And then I'm also an educational consultant. And so with the 20-ish years of experience I had in working in admissions in a private school, I'm now um, helping other schools further their goals through their enrollment and branding and marketing. Nice. Nice. I was just curious about the coaching just because I'm a retired U.S. national and international figure skating coach. And I now work with elite athletes on their mindset training. Yes. To I help do a them lot of that. stay in the game, right? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Right now I'm mostly working with ice skaters because that's kind of my thing and, and, yeah. But uh, that's great. So we all have a story. Tell us in detail what you went through with your pregnancy. And I'm, I'm kind of guessing that is what your book is about as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, so um, life was going pretty well. Um, I was actually married pretty young to my husband. And, and through our 20s, we just worked a lot and we're building up our careers and um, we decided to have our first child and had him in 2011. And, um, you know, after a few years of still building careers and, and raising a toddler, our son started asking for a lady baby is how he worded it. <laughs> and that just meant he wanted a little sibling, preferably a girl, um, because he noticed that some of his friends were getting little babies and didn't quite understand where they came from. And, 
he just knew he wanted one too. And that obviously started the conversation between my husband and I about, you know, having another child. And so we were pregnant again in 2014 and everything was going well. And around the 12 week visit, um, my doctor mentioned you could do a blood test to find out gender of the baby. And I was super anxious to know the gender. I'm a planner. And so I just really wanted to know. And I, I agreed to do the blood test. And um, probably about 10 days later, she called me back and let us know that we were having a lady baby, um, but that she also tested positive for trisomy 18, which um, most people are familiar with Down syndrome being, uh, it's also, it's called trisomy 21. And um it's a very similar to that. Um, usually trisomy 18 babies come with more heart and brain defects. And so, you know, we were super sad and devastated by this news um, and just kind of lost ourselves in the that week of just lots of tears and sadness. And we went to um, a specialist to confirm the diagnosis and he just immediately recommended an abortion and kind of thought it was better to move on and go to the next pregnancy. Um, so let me ask you a question, Trisha. Mm -hmm. So, so, because I, I really know very little about Down syndrome and I'm so sorry that, that you had to go through that. Um, is 18, it sounds like 18 is worse than 21. Is yeah. That uh, typically or it's, it's just not, different. Yeah. It's, it's similar, like with trisomy 18 babies that are born alive and that survive. Um, there's pretty significant, you know, delays in um, development, um, but the survival rate is typically lower because of the issues within the heart. And so Annabelle, our daughter, she, we found out had a two chamber heart. And so instead of being born with four chambers, if she was born alive, she would be born with two chambers. And, you know, just from taking freshman biology, everybody knows you're supposed to have four chambers in your heart. Right. And so we knew that um, that would be, you know, a really big issue for her um, if she was to survive. Mm. So what did you do to, because you have a, a toddler you're taking care of, a little boy who, and I only have one child and it's a boy and I know how active they are and very needy when they're little. I think they're always needy, little boys. Um, how did you keep your sanity? and keep your head on straight with this diagnosis? Well, I think that for us, there was just a lot of process points. And I think that, you know, in our situation, there was a lot of mourning the loss of something that we didn't even have yet because it was a change. I mean, this wasn't exactly what we planned, what we expected. Um, so I had to just come to terms with what the reality was. And I couldn't give up on my son. I mean, he was still, like you said, an active little toddler, three and a half years old. And I think for us, we found this as an opportunity. Um, we did decide to continue the pregnancy, but we had to prepare him and ourselves and our own hearts for the different possibilities that could come out of it. Um, and so likely we were told it would be a stillbirth and, you know, I would probably she would likely die at some point during pregnancy and I would have to give birth to her. Um, if she was to be born alive, I was prepared and told that there was not a very long lifespan expectancy. I'm talking like minutes or hours at the most because of her two chamber heart. 
But in the midst of all that, um, when we found out this diagnosis, um, I was about to start volleyball season. And so I had been, uh, I was a high school volleyball coach for about 20 years and was used to winning and having really successful teams. And we had just come off of two back-to-back state championships and going into the 2014 season, you know, that would be the first school history of volleyball, you know, three-peat. And that's a really big deal in the sporting world to even win one state championship. And so I had to really, um, you know, kind of take my mental preparation that I had been teaching as a coach for so many years and apply it to myself. And the one thing that stuck out to me was that I was always teaching athletes to give it their best and to fight, even if they were up against the you know biggest opponent in the state. And, you know, maybe losing was inevitable because we didn't have the skill, but if we could outmatch their work ethic and determination, um, you could leave and win or lose the match and still be, you know, happy with your performance. And I felt like in my situation that, you know, I'd been telling athletes, win or lose, you go out there and you give it your all and you try your best no matter what. And you can be happy with yourself after that performance. Um, I saw myself applying that to my own life. And so I told these girls, I'm going to do my best to stay healthy. And all I'm asking for is, you know, your support. I want practices to be fun and happy and uplifting and, you know, take out all the girl drama or the boyfriends or, you know, tests and quizzes and the stresses of your life. And let's just make this a really safe and happy little bubble that we can all be happy to be a part of. And when I asked that of these teenage girls, knowing what I was going through, I mean, they delivered, um, you know, times a thousand. Uh, Practices were fun, energetic, It was completely selfless. Um, It wasn't about themselves anymore. It was about us, my family, the team um, fighting for each other. And we did go on to win the state championship. And I don't see that three. Yeah. Yeah. And then we won another (laughs) one the next year. So wow, that's incredible. It was a four. But I really believe that in that season of my pregnancy, um, it felt different than any other win. It was coming from a place of selflessness and complete, you know, joy for playing for each other. And it just was fun. It was just so different. And um, they dedicated that season to our daughter, Annabelle, and I made it through the season still pregnant and her still alive. And I think that they got me through, you know, that really difficult part of my pregnancy. And after we won the state championship, you know, I kind of came crashing back to reality of what I was in the middle of. And um, we were also going into the Christmas season where, you know, Mary is very unsure about what's going on and how is she supposed to survive this and how is she pregnant? And not that I would compare myself to her, but I was really mentally preparing myself for the unknown. Um, in a very different way than I ever had before. And, um, and I made it full term, I think, through just being positive and hopeful and, and finding that joy um, out of every day that I got with her. To me, was a miracle. And it was a blessing to just still be pregnant and still have her alive inside of me. 
And then when we made it full term and we scheduled the C-section, we all knew that life outside the womb would be much harder than inside. And, you know, like I said, we were preparing for minutes or moments of her being alive and her passing. But again, I put myself in that like mental space of like, I can do this. I will do everything I can um, to make this an amazing opportunity. And she ended up living for six days and just kind of rocked the medical community and doctors and what they thought was possible with a baby with this condition, with a two-chamber heart. And it's weird to say that that was a happy time in my life because I was going through so much, but, and I can't say that I felt that way all the time by any means, but now it's been seven years and I've been able to see that time in my life as an opportunity. Like, I feel lucky that I got to be her mom, that I got to have her for six days, that she was born alive, that I made it through my pregnancy, that I had this community of people, you know, rallying together on our behalf. And so, you know, my book called When Wishes Change is really about how when something changes in your life, that isn't great, and it's not what you planned and expected, how do you turn that into something good? and something that you can find joy in. And it seems weird to say that I found joy in the loss of my child, um, but I did. I was able to find ways to still be happy. And we had another child after Annabelle. Her name is Andy. We had another lady baby. And my son and her are still very close despite you know a bigger age gap. And, um, and they both love and love talking about their sister that's in heaven. And so sometimes we get weird looks from people, you know, about how weird it is that we're happy, but we really are. So Trisha, that is just such a heartbreaking story. And the strength that you have shown is absolutely remarkable. I personally was told that I would never have children and had two miscarriages. No, I had two mis no, one miscarriage my son, and then three more miscarriages. So I had five pregnancies and one child. And when you have a miscarriage before 12 weeks, well, as heartbreaking as it is, I would just say to myself, well, there was obviously something very wrong with the baby. For you to, to take that, because not that many people, well, I can't say what I would have done because we don't know what we would do unless we're put in that situation, right? The strength that it takes to actually go through that just is incredible. And when you compared it to, you know, because I'm an, I'm a, an athletic coach as well, I get the mentality. But not many people would be able to have that mindset. Yeah, it's not natural for I mean, a lot of people. And it Go into talk about that a little yeah. bit more. So yeah. here's my recent comparison. So I've been I've picked up tennis as like a hobby, right? And I'm playing with a lot of women. My it's my favorite sport. I, I love, love tennis. tennis. And since I yeah. played in volleyball, like so much of it's similar. And I I did play tennis in high school. So, um, but what really is surprising to me is how women my age who have kids and families and have done so much like fall apart under mental pressure just in tennis right 
And I'm like, we're playing tennis on a Tuesday. Like, this is yep. the easiest thing that you can have happen. But I have trained so many kids over the years how to mentally, I mean, mental training was most of my practice training in practice. Like, we took time to read books and articles and spend time on the mental aspect of the game. And so I think for so many years, I was reading these books with my athletes and teaching it to them. And naturally, you absorb a lot of the principles and the lessons. And then you start realizing how applicable it is for life. And I've been using some of those techniques on my tennis team. I've been mentioning some of these books like, hey, guys, why don't y'all think about reading this book? I think it could help you. Um, because we think as coaches, okay, we're teaching our athletes this for volleyball, but really we're teaching them, uh, concepts for life. And I was able to go through like visualization exercises, especially right before the C-section, before I had her, um, I was able to probably, you know, better keep the future in the future because you can't worry about something now if it's not going to happen for months um and i'm still really bad at that that's probably my worst weakness is worrying about the future when you can't you know do anything right now about it um and just taking the present in um but i i kept coaching myself through that and i'm also a very spiritual person and so i think between um scripture and mind books um, mind gymming myself into um, handling the situation. I don't know that without that training, it could have happened the way it did. And and even during her life, um, there was a couple of times where I was just, I knew the inevitable was coming and there was many challenges, but I had to coach myself out of it and be like, no, stop worrying, stop crying, get out of it. You're in the present. You need to Spend the time that you have with her now and enjoy it because you're not going to get this time back. Only I could do that, you know, to myself. I had to coach myself in those moments. Well, yeah. And, you know, but I love that, that, that you cherish the six days that you had with her. And that is such a beautiful thing. I mean, as, as sad as it is, um, it's still a very beautiful thing that, that because you didn't know if you were to even have yeah. a minute with her. And I go back to that whole analogy, like in life, it's like, well, I gave the best, I did the best that I could for her. You know, I feel like I kept myself healthy and slept and, you know, rested and, you know, did everything my doctor asked of me. And I don't have any regrets because I was able to play it out right to the very end. And even though we still lost her, I still see a lot of gains and a lot of victories through that loss. Well, just from an emotional intelligence capacity with you, you've gained so much that you can now pass on to mm -hmm. other people, even your tennis team, yes. you know, I mean, yeah, I know it is because, because, you know, it, here's the thing. I mean, I've been, I've been coaching, I've been an athletic coach. I retired 20 years ago, but since I retired, I have been a life coach and we don't know what we don't know. And so that's really that you're the, the ladies on your tennis team have no idea how lucky they are to have someone like you mm -hmm. to help them. Because unless you've been through hell and back, like 
we both have been, yep. right? You don't gain that perspective mm-hmm. on life. And your perception's just very different because, yeah, they're playing tennis on a Tuesday and it means the world to them and they don't have anything to compare yeah. it to, yeah. right? So, you know, that's okay. But, but lucky for them that they have you to help them, help them, you know, improve that capacity because it is going to help them mm-hmm. on the tennis courts by all yeah, means. I think so. It's, it's mostly up here when it comes yeah. to athletes. Yeah. So what is life like for you today? So after um, Annabelle passed away, I mean, we really still wanted another child if we could. And um, I, I was pregnant about six months later and that was a little harder than I thought it would be because um, I was still grieving a loss really heavily but then I was pregnant with a new baby and you know there's a lot of joy that comes with that right and baby showers and just like a lot of excitement and I I guess I didn't realize the pain that I was still in until like certain moments through that pregnancy Um, but again I kind of just had this whole idea of like this too shall pass and I knew that you know, once I met my child and I, I could hold her and know that she was healthy until that moment, I was stressed out completely the whole pregnancy because I just didn't believe that it could be all right anymore. There was too much that I knew now that could go wrong in pregnancy that I was just super scared about. And, you know, and then even when I had her, there was a weird guilt, like I'm still, am I replacing Annabelle? Like there was weird feelings of that. But again, I think just, I had to, I had, I needed time. I needed time to process the grief. I needed time to realize that I could never replace the daughter that I lost, but that, you know, Andy, my little rainbow baby that I had afterwards, um, I think of her as like a gift from Annabelle like I probably wouldn't have been pregnant that fast and had another child if it wasn't for her and so I think of them almost in the same strand as like an amazing blessing and an amazing story instead of having to feel guilty about you know replacing um, a child from another child I mean it's ridiculous that I thought that I knew that now. Yeah, I can imagine. But it just felt that way at the time. And um, I also think just in raising children, I mean, it does go by really fast. And I know how short life can be. And I experienced a really traumatic loss of a child. And I'm really trying to appreciate the moments that I have with them and raising them because it does go fast. You know, my son's now 10. This all happened when he was three and a half. That seems like yesterday, but he's, you know, going into middle school and my, my daughter, my youngest is five and she's in kindergarten and so much of this still feels like it just happened and you blink and it's been another five years. And so I think I just have a different perspective. It doesn't mean though, that there's not like really bad days with my kids and they drive me crazy and I get mad at them and. And it's, and I think for sometimes my friends are like, well, I, I don't even want to complain about this because you went through something so hard. I'm like, no, life is life. Like, don't feel like you can't vent to me. Like everybody goes through hard times and um, your ups and your downs. And 
I want to be a friend to others that can help them through anything that they're going through. Um, but I, I do think time gives of perspective course. and I've gained a lot of perspective. And like you said, I think I'm in a better position now um, to help others and to like let people know that there is happiness and joy out of a really bad tragedy. Because I remember when I was in it, there were so many days I literally didn't believe that I could ever be happy again and that I could, I was like, how am I ever going to smile again? That's not even going to be possible. Um, but I can, and I have, and I will. And I just feel like that's a really powerful message to share with anyone that's going through a, a significant change or tragedy. Yes. And I love your title of your book, When Wishes Change. So what inspired you to write the book? I felt really early on um, that I wanted to write about our experience. Um, part of it is actually when I got this terrible news about my pregnancy and volleyball season was two weeks away, um, I was actually contacted by the Texas Catholic. It's like the local kind of newspaper. They do a lot of video stories here in Texas. And they asked me if they could document our journey. Um, they were going to write an article. And then once they started following me around, they were like, no, we're going to make a documentary out of this. And so I had been handed over thousands of hours of video and interviews, and they followed our entire state championship run. Um, and so there was all these awesome elements. When we got the news of the pregnancy um, and our daughter having trisomy 18, uh, shortly after the news kind of got out to the school and to my friend group and everybody about it and our decision to continue on, I was contacted by the Texas Catholic and they asked me first if they could just write an article about what we were going through. And, you know, it was, I had a platform. I was the director of admissions at the largest Catholic high school and the head volleyball coach. And I was about to enter a big, you know, season. And so I said, yes. And really as they were following me around, they were like, we want this to be something bigger. And so it was actually made into a documentary. And so they followed me around and mic'd me up from basically August all the way through. I mean, I was still interviewing after she passed away in February to wrap up the documentary. And so I knew after that aired that I really wanted to write about the story and, and what we had gone through. Um, and so I started writing seriously uh, and thanks on Thanksgiving break of 2019. That's when I kind of made the decision. I really wanted to write. This was pre-pandemic. And, um, and when the pandemic hit and I was just writing and writing and writing, I was just watching the world change, you know, all around us and just devastating things happening and wishes being changed. And when I was coming to, um, you know, some kind of a thought about the book title, there was all these things like Annabelle's army and wishes to Annabelle or something about my daughter. Um, but when I was at a meeting with my editor, we really talked about how the theme of the book was a lot bigger. And it was more about when there's something you really wish for, like I wish for obviously a healthy baby and a healthy pregnancy when that doesn't happen or your wish doesn't come true you know life is more about how you respond to the wishes that don't come true than the wishes that do and right so many of us have had everybody has wishes and dreams and it's 
not to say like don't have wishes and dreams, um, but when something dramatically changes, like how are you going to find hope and growth and happiness and joy out of that change? And so that's really where the book title, When Wishes Change, came from. And we made sure throughout the book that that theme was was tied into everything that I was writing about so that it could be um, just a bigger story than just my story. Right. I love that because it's it demonstrates such resilience on your part. And that's what it's about, right? I mean, life happens when we're busy making other plans. And sometimes it's the small thing. You, you lose a tennis tournament or sometimes it's major life mm-hmm. tragedies. Either way, they're both real. They hurt. They're painful. You know, pain is pain. But it's that resilience. It's like a muscle that resi- that's that muscle that you've got to build up. So I love that that you made it much broader because it is a it is a big thing, and so many people can can learn from it because, you know, tragedy is tragedy, and it comes in all different shapes and sizes and forms and colors and yep. all of that. But your story is absolutely incredible. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience today? Um, you know, for me, I, I think it's just. Um being aware of the circumstances around you and there may be something that's just not going right that you don't like, but there's always a way to see a bright side. There's always a way to change your circumstances. Um, You know, most recently I left my job. Well, it's almost been a year, but I I stopped and realized it was literally when I was creating this book title, how unhappy I was and how many things had changed in my environment. And it was, causing stress and panic attacks and I was unhappy and I decided like I've got to let this wish change it's not the place I'm meant to be anymore and I've got to figure out what will make me happy and it was a hard road to get there it's not like I was able to snap my fingers and change and be happy Um, but I I recognized that in myself and I was able to start taking the steps necessary to make a change to then be a much happier person now than I was then. Mm, I love it. I love it because life is short. You have a 10 year old and a five year old. My one and only is 21 and it ha- he was born yeah. yesterday. So it does go by like that. So good for you because they've only got one chance at their childhood, yep. right? Yeah. <laughs> So good for you. And I wish you the best of success with your book and your speaking and just being there for other people because you have such a powerful message to share. So thank you so much for for today's interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. That was such an amazing story. And I still cannot believe that she had so much courage to go through what she did. So you can learn more about Trisha on her website, which is whenwisheschange.com. So thank you so much for listening today. Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Coach Sandy Scarlatta. And as always, I hope that you and your family are safe and healthy and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, and happiness. Take care, everyone.